What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, October 9th. This week on the podcast, my friend Lane Hewitt joins me to discuss crypto art, crypto philosophy, and a number of other things. This is an episode we filmed a little while back in person, so the audio might not be completely up to par. With that said, it's still a great episode. We talk a lot about art for about the first 10 minutes, and then at about 11.30, we really start jumping into crypto. So if you want to skip ahead to about 11.30 or so, go ahead. As always, be sure to share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about crypto and blockchain. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good. It's really hot. It is really hot <laughs> because we're sitting in a warehouse full of mining rigs that are loud and produce a lot of heat. So it's kind of sucks, but you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah, it happens. So anyways, thanks for coming on the podcast and stopping by and doing this in person. Cause I don't yeah. think I've done one in person quite yet. So we're kind of like testing some of the some of the waters here to see how it goes but yeah tell me a little bit about your background kind of what you're doing um i know you do a lot with art and stuff so like just tell me a little bit about lane hewitt all right well my background's a little bit all over the place but i consider myself an artist entrepreneur type Uh, i've been focusing a lot on building a body of work right now which uh you don't know what that is it's usually like 20 to 30 different pieces of art that are developing the same theme that you can then uh, put in a portfolio and present to galleries with and different collectors and on top of that I've been in transition to Chicago Very which cool. is quite a change from the sleepy little central Oregon that I've grown up in and when are you moving to Chicago? In October 1st. Very cool. So very soon. Very cool. So you're getting out of here pretty soon. Are you taking like your, your work with you or are you selling it off and then doing something in Chicago? Like what's the, what's the game plan? A little bit of both. I'm uh, probably going to put a lot of them in tubes. Mm-hmm. So take them off the frame and then you roll them up and move them around a lot easier. Because other than that, it turns into a big hassle. Right. With all the canvas stretched. Yeah, so that's that the plan. And then basically continuing doing what I'm doing. Uh, I've got this new podcast. So the podcast is an art podcast called Lane Hewitt's Canvas Shop. Mm-hmm. And I chose the name not only because it's in the shop where I stretch canvas, but it's also kind of like the blank canvas is essentially the philosophical point of like the largest potential so i kind of like exploring that theme a little bit i talked to a few different artists so far and i mean did a podcast on crypto voxels i saw that one it's very cool nice i also saw the video you did too you're walking around crypto voxels that was also pretty cool i actually got some laughs out of that one entertaining <laughs> <laughs> nice that was the goal I uh, hit a couple roadblocks purchasing my uh, plot of land which I guess they weren't roadblocks it just took a while for it to change mm-hmm. but I, it's like a 30 minute video that I spent I don't know like three hours making <laughs> right. trying to figure out what happened that's how it goes though sometimes <clears throat> like those videos I mean I've made a lot of them but like the, the whole like post editing and everything it takes forever and you're just like why is it taking so long when despite the video being so short and like I have the same issue with like the podcast like it's I record like a podcast it might be an hour long but it takes me like at least two hours to fully like edit it and then like get it put together correctly and get it formatted correctly I'm just like this is so not right <laughs> <laughs> I avoid editing at all costs. I just throw some intro music in there, and that's about it. I could tell. Yeah, you did, you minimize the editing quite a bit, but I mean, there's no like right or wrong way to do it. I, for me, it's just it's nice to like hear the conversation because I got 
some cool guests that come on every once in a while and I want to make sure that you can like understand them like crystal clear know mm -hmm. exactly what their message is it stays as on track as possible so I spent a lot of time editing to make sure that it kind of follows like a script as much as possible oh, yeah. so people know what what they're doing uh, what they're talking about it so it's explained really well I mean there's plenty of podcasters can completely go off the rails on purpose and do whatever the, the hell they want <laughs> and they're very successful so I mean there's no right or wrong way to do it I think kind of just depends on the format of what you're doing in terms of podcasting so yeah for me that's just how, kind of how I roll with it yeah I can see there's a lot of pros to that I try to keep it a little loose that's good I'm not like a huge art guy but like what type of art are you doing specifically because I know we've talked about it a little bit but maybe for the audience you can kind of explain like what your style is like artistically okay that's a good that's great it's, I've spent months figuring out what I've been doing mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would describe it as kind of like uh, classical aestheticism with um, what's that with a pointillist style so I guess short history on art is you kind of you have classical art which mm -hmm. encompasses anywhere from like two to four thousand years of history basically up until the 17th 18th century somewhere mm -hmm. in there and the main themes of classical art is like it kind of the purpose is to bring you into the image and show you a scene where you can kind of sit there for a while and figure out what's happening and right. lots of you can picture religious art packed full with a lot of symbolism and a lot of different ideas that you can really like admire for a lifetime in a lot of cases then eventually the shift from classicalism landed into something that's loosely termed aestheticism mm -hmm. which is when you start getting like seascapes and I'm forgetting the word but other landscapes and certain things that just kind of look cool right that people enjoy looking at that there's not particularly messages hidden within the painting itself like if you ever look at a Bosch painting mm -hmm. um, but they're they look like a madman's painting and chances are that he was a little it's crazy. just like crazy like like yeah, makes no sense. Like, yeah, he has. Uh, he's been super enigmatic for like five hundred years. I think he was from Holland in the fifteenth century, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And he has one painting called like the Garden of Earthly Desires or something like that. And it's just full of um, there's earth scenes and then there's hell in one corner. Jeez. And it's chocked full of like all these different images that is people have been perplexed by forever and um, I just listened to a documentary on that which was pretty cool apparently he probably believed that polyphonic music was from the devil mm -hmm. so in his picture of hell there's a bunch of instruments and there's like uh, musical notes written on someone's body that like this satanic creature is reading mm -hmm. and so this is all that's very, good, very weird. Yeah, that's that's just a good <laughs> example of what classical art is. It's full of a lot of imagery, and then aestheticism, and then modern art came out of that, and then you get a lot of uh, non-formal, non-figurative sort of Jackson Pollock stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm mixing the two. I like the imagery that classical art tends to evoke and how it kind of like invites you into the scene to figure out what's going on but I also like the really expressionistic kind of uh, scenery or feeling that you can get from abstract art classical aestheticism <laughs> I don't know if I will remember like all those definitions but it it definitely sounds really interesting for sure and i've seen a lot of your artwork a lot of different things that you've kind of put together and made what are some of the like we don't have to go through like all of them for sure but like like the favorite ones the ones that you like the most like what like some of the some of the symbolism behind it or some of the things that or something that you took from to make those or like the inspiration i guess was the word i'm looking for for some of those yeah, so 
I have one called Madame Psychosis, which is uh, sounds crazy. It's an infinite jest nod <laughs> because I've been stuck in that book for ages, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I found the imagery that I used uh, in a painting that I just saw at some point. It's of a man and a woman in the midst of a wave, and the guy is kind of like pulling her up, but they're both in the water. He's just at the top of the wave, and she's at the bottom. Uh, so I like where that is kind of vague. They didn't have like much of a reference point to it. So I put that in one of my paintings that turned out really well. And that one's one that I've tried to develop a little bit of a circular feeling to it. Right. Because circles are cool, man. Circles are cool. <laughs> circles are hard to do, yeah. like I have to admit, like unless you have like a protractor or something, like making a perfect circle is ridiculous hard. Yeah. There's some art, artistic skill to drawing the perfect circle. Like it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like that could be like its whole art genre. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. There's a lot of people have explored it. And I just also enjoy the psychological significance of like wholeness. Mm. I feel like it, it just translates well on a canvas. It's kind of welcoming in a way. And so there's that one. And then another one I'm calling Franey, which is loosely based off of a painting, a neoclassical painting called Franey before the Areopagus. Interesting. Which is based off of a Greek myth about um, basically a virtuous prostitute that... Uh, a virtuous prostitute? Yeah. Is that possible? Sure. I guess in Greece. <laughs> a, a prostitute with good virtues? That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite, the, quite the myth, for sure. And yeah, those are the two that most stick out to me. I also know that, and we've worked on a lot of this together, you've been creating um, NFTs for your artwork, and there aren't like a whole lot of people actually creating really good NFT artwork. It's still like relatively new, like the whole NFT space in general, but I know you've been starting to create some as well. Um, we did a mm -hmm. canvas together that was pretty cool uh, that's, that I'm putting out very slowly. What direction are you thinking about going? Is are you going to keep exploring uh, your ability to put out art as like an NFT, like on OpenSea or on Super Rare or on Additional, and kind of take your artistic sovereignty with you, or are you looking to do some mm -hmm. more like physical canvases or like both or or none or I, I don't know like what's <laughs> what's the future looking like for Lane's artwork. Yeah, I think okay. I'll do a little bit of both. Like I, like a GIF file is basically a flip book. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of exploring how to do that on a canvas and you can take pictures at different stages and make it right. a moving picture. I've figured out that that's very difficult. <laughs> it, it is. Especially <laughs> when uh, for one piece that I had, I think I was compiling between 150 200 images mm -hmm. and it definitely broke photoshop a couple times it would just freeze yeah. up because that's like a it's like a 50 gigabyte file before it gets I actually figured out a couple tricks like I'm I'm definitely not artistic so I'm never going to do it again because it just kind of sucks but <laughs> I I figured out a couple ways to kind of cheat that a little bit like Canva like I use Canva for everything but you can like make multiple yeah. duplicates in a single like sheet on canvas you can like multiple have multiple pages and then you can like duplicate whatever your work is like on every single page and then you can change it just a little bit to make it like this open flip book and then you can okay. take all those and you can save them as individual pictures and then you can run those pictures through some online generator they'll turn it into a gift for you that's probably like the easiest way to do it that's how i was doing it because i'm not like overly techie or overly nerdy when it comes to like software stuff but mm. I do know how to use Google so <laughs> and there's a lot of generators out there that'll do like very simple steps for you so that was actually really helpful a little bit um, you might actually like using Canva too it's great for all kinds of things yeah it sounds like that would cut a lot of work out of it I'm not very 
especially techie yeah. in that realm either. I guess we're in the same boat all the <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend that's like a Photoshop wizard. Yeah. But he charges me money now. <laughs> See, like, I, I have thought about, like, getting certain kinds of software for, like, for, like, audio, for, like, podcasts, and then, like, I don't even know what they're called. Like, that's how, like, out of the loop I am. And then for, like, photos and videos, but, like, everything I can do, like, on basic Mac software, like GarageBand or iMovie, it works great for me. Like, I, I don't see the point in going and spending all the extra money on software that just adds a little bit of detail, a little bit of difference. I'm like, I'm not working in Hollywood here. Yeah. Like I'm putting stuff on YouTube or I'm putting stuff up for my podcast. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, I know a lot of those like Photoshop or Blender, they're super powerful mm -hmm. for when you know what you're, what you want specifically. Right. And you know, for somebody that's fantastic. <laughs> like I'm telling you, I can compete with you using GarageBand and iMovie just fine. <laughs> yeah, the simpler tools are often the best. Right. I think I feel like you overthink it. Like it needs just a little bit more tints. The saturation's a little too high, and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, it takes a long time to develop that. You can eye. see me in the photo. I can see me in the photo. We're good, right? Like. <laughs> I try not to overthink that part too much. More on the NFT thing. I think it's really cool. Like I listen to your podcast with Fanny. Mm -hmm. Lakubai, I'm going to guess. Lakubai. Please don't kill me if I say your <laughs> name right. I'm, I'm doing my best here. Um, no, she was awesome. Yeah. Loved having her on. We had a great conversation. Um, and then she run uh, the additional app and everything. She's kind of behind that and a number, number of other things. She's like mm -hmm. very, very busy woman doing awesome. Um, and I use the additional app a lot too. It's really easy like to like, take a picture or something or upload your picture and then turn that into an NFT on your phone, mm -hmm. which is really great because I can do the same thing on OpenSea directly, which is also really great, but like kind of when you're like on the go and you just want to like grab like something there and then with your phone, it's awesome because you can immediately becomes an NFT, it's on the blockchain, ready to be collected, sold, traded, whatever. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Love what she's doing. Yeah, I'm really excited to check out additional whenever they put out Android. Yeah. <laughs> you guys gotta get to work on that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, so she brought something to my attention that I thought was pretty cool with how um, uh, creating additions of digital art. I had never really thought about that before, how pe digital artists were kind of, they had their hands tied from just the, the nature of the internet and sharing things. You kind of couldn't really uh, sell it right, or make it a limited edition. It could be duplicated thousands of times. So that's something I really appreciate. I've never made digital art before. Mm -hmm. Well, I take that back. I have, but never purely digital. Right. Just digitized sure. on blockchain. Yeah, it, it's cool. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this probably a billion times already on the podcast with a number of people, but for artists, for creators, musicians, uh, you name it, anyone that's an artist in any field, the ability to take control of your work and to have complete control of your royalty of monetization. Um, of your own distribution on a platform. It's, it's huge in an industry where they get screwed every single day. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what that experience is like for like a, a painter or someone that makes a canvas, but I, I know for like musicians, it's awful. They're getting screwed when it comes to royalties. Yeah, it's um, pretty rough. Yeah, so, I mean, when it comes to being an artist, there's a lot of benefits to putting your work on blockchain. And in this case, on additional or on OpenSea directly, um, or on other mediums that are prevalent and coming out as well, it's just a good fit in general for artists. So mm -hmm. glad to see that you're using it too. Yeah, dipping my toes in at least. Yeah. I've got a friend of mine who says he's not even he's he's not involved in cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. but he loves it. He thinks it's the most punk rock thing ever. Interesting, because it's super 
anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like taking your power back to an extent. Yeah, speaking of in the crypto industry in general, like, what's your opinion on it? Like, what do you think about? Well, let's synthesize it a little bit because that's actually kind of a broad question. <laughs> but let's let's start with Bitcoin as a as an artist, as someone that's kind of sort of recently kind of involved in it. What do you think of Bitcoin, and do you think it has a future? Oops, I think so. Even if it's like. My assumption would be that Bitcoin's gonna survive and it's not gonna be replaced by something just because of its status and how it was kind of there first. Mm-hmm. And obviously you can modify the network through lightning network stuff that I've heard about. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good thing. Probably I don't you'd know more than me, but I feel like it probably right. won't get too outdated for people to just not be able to use it at some point in time. Right. Well, I mean, like with like the Lightning Network and stuff, um, that definitely helps it scale in terms of its transactions and its ability to um, be used by millions, if not a billion people at some point, um, which is very, very important if it wants to be used on a mass scale. So Lightning Network is fantastic. They're growing every day. Um, it's, it's great for Bitcoin in general. So mm-hmm. that's it's a huge positive. I, I think the... At least for me personally, the biggest thing that gives Bitcoin value is just the fact that it has this symbolism attached to it. Oh, yeah. Um, and as an artist, maybe you can relate to this a little bit, but Bitcoin is almost like a, pe- a, a digital piece of art in a lot of ways because when people see it, it represents something. What does it represent? It, it represents individuality. It represents mm-hmm. freedom for a collective, yet also for the individual at the same time sovereignty um for a a lot of people it's anti-government it's anti-banks which is kind of where it was born out of out of the recession so i i think a lot of that over the years has given bitcoin quite a lot of value it's interesting too i mean i think people really overlook that aspect like they want to find something physical about it that gives it value Mm-hmm. They want to find something economically that gives it value. Like what gives gold value or what may or may not give a U.S. dollar value. I think they're looking in the wrong place. I mean, with Bitcoin, it's technological advancement of money. The same way the car is the technological advancement of the horse, right? Mm-hmm. Or an email is the technological advancement of the letter. And, oh, for, yeah. and for communication, I mean, you can look at the phone and we can go on and on. Like if, if you look at it carefully, Bitcoin really does represent a technological jump in terms of money for the first time in thousands of years um, away from gold. Not that gold is bad or anything, but I, I just think that symbolism that it has and what it represents is really, really strong. I think it gets overlooked quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And I think that segue is pretty nicely into an actual physical thing about Bitcoin and it's one of the cultural markers of something that has weight and is probably coming on a larger scale mm-hmm. is the emotional reaction you get out of people when you mention Bitcoin. It's I feel like more often than not you get someone who's kind of like they start changing their body posture a little bit and they're like, ah, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. That Bitcoin stuff. And um, when something's highly disruptive, it definitely has that effect. Right. Like even with, with abstract art, that was a big thing. A lot of classical painters or classically trained painters would not be happy about it. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously it's became a huge thing. Like Jackson Pollock paintings are worth millions of dollars. And same sort of thing happened with novels. You can look up like old, old articles written about people criticizing novels and how it's how it's a womanly sort of thing to do and it's a waste of time Mm -hmm. and then it comes around and has a huge cultural impact it's an interesting parallel i wonder if you could look at bitcoin as a novel like a monetary novel telling a story over like the last 10 years now we're getting really philosophical here (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah i have a tendency to do that no, that's fine. That's great. Um, we need more people like that and we need to encourage more people like that. Great ideas come from people that are great thinkers, right? So probably. You got to think a little crazy every once in a while. 
<laughs> you know, I was wondering before I came here, did you ever run into the, uh, I think it was an NSA article that they wrote that was called How to Make a Mint? I, I, I did not, is that new? No, no, it came out in the late or mid 90s or something oh. like that. And it was about cryptocurrency. It was mm. titled something like How to Make a Mint. Like online? Like using or cryptographic sort means. of signatures yeah. and computers and peer-to-peer -peer networks. Well, to you, got, you got to remember that the internet, when it first, first came out, it was a DARPA program. The, inter mm -hmm. the internet was a government program. It wasn't created by Silicon Valley like most things are today. That's the only reason that we really have the internet and have actually gotten the infrastructure for it and then over time developed it out and it's commercialized and whatnot now. But I've had that theory for a while, like Bitcoin could have been a, a government project at some point. I mean, no offense to Satoshi, whoever he, she, or they, or what it, mm -hmm. it may be, you just don't know. No. Like, you really don't. I mean, there there is a possibility that it could... that. Satoshi could be a pseudonym for the CIA or for the NSA or for DARPA, I don't know. Or that just it, it was a government program that built Bitcoin. It's a possibility. Um, so I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that there's an article like that out there. They, I mean, the government has kind of a, had programs to explore all kinds of things for a very long time, like well, well before they ever like became mainstream, buy it at Best Buy products. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, who do you think is really innovating with the inflated cash? Is it the government or is it Best Buy or is it Silicon Valley? It's, it's the government. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're thinking about this stuff way ahead of time, but I mean, it's, but the government's not putting it in Best Buy, not putting it in Target for you to buy. I mean, obviously this, the technology gets out and gets developed and whatnot, so. Yeah. The best story I could come up with and what I'm hoping is true is that someone working on that project was like, man, someone should really do this, <laughs> but I would get busted. <laughs> so like, a, like an Edward Snowden-like <laughs> type situation? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's possible too. I mean, I doubt we'd ever hear that story, unfortunately. And you know what? I think what gives Bitcoin so much more value also towards symbolism is the fact that we don't know who Satoshi is. And that's like the best part. Like, if you want something like Bitcoin to work, and you want it to truly be decentralized, there has to be no creator. Maybe I don't know if. For me, that's like the hardest part with buying into the government theory of it, because the government would want to control it, and the government yeah. would want to enforce it. Like, why would the government create something that would be anti-government? It just doesn't make sense to me. They wouldn't create a decentralized system that they can't stop or they can't control. And it's very clear with how Bitcoin works when you look at it that it, it's very unlikely that a government would have created it or our yeah. government or whatever. Satoshi Nakamoto was like a physical person or a group or it was uh, aliens, like who knows. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's one of those. That's like my top picks when it comes to Satoshi. Yeah, yeah it's a super... Uh, Super compelling story. I would hope that the full thing comes out within our lifetimes. That would be a cool documentary. I don't. I hope. I hope we never learn who Satoshi is. Just just because it adds to the symbolism behind Bitcoin. Like I, I do want Bitcoin to succeed. Like I don't necessarily. I wouldn't be necessarily unhappy if it didn't succeed either. Like I just. I know it's going some form of cryptographic currency, whether it's Bitcoin or something else will succeed well there's a lot of just pure geniuses working on projects all over the place absolutely and that lends to a lot like just like uh elon musk starting starting tesla mm -hmm. one of the most like irrational things you could do on paper is start an independent car company with electrical cars and then say you want to shoot rockets, right? Yeah, and then go into the private space industry. <laughs> yeah, so he, he definitely um, stretches the bill a little bit for sure. But I mean, he definitely has a way of kind of figuring it out. And he's a smart guy. Like Elon Musk mm -hmm. is absolutely brilliant in so many ways. And is a genius and innovator. And yeah. I don't know, he's an interesting guy. There, I know some people that think he might be Satoshi too, and he just won't admit it. It's very possible. I don't think 
it's him, but uh, it's a good guess. I don't know. You would have to like cross-reference the amount of time that he's spending on other, other companies. I think he's too busy <laughs> to be that kind of a guy, so. He is. I mean, you remember how people bought that couch, couch for him? Mm-hmm. On, uh, I don't know, I think they started a GoFundMe because he was just sleeping at SpaceX or Tesla or something. Yeah, and they like crowdfunded a couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and what's cool is that there's going to be, I mean, this is totally opinion, but I feel like there's going to be a few companies like PayPal, which are started by super young people in the cryptocurrency sphere. Because I know one of the people you interviewed too, getting out of high school or something just like a couple years ago, I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've, but, I've had so many interviews lately with so many people, I, I'm kind of spaced in that. So, we, And I think in almost every podcast, we almost always bring up VR, like it just kind of goes that direction somehow. Yeah, but at any rate, there's so many young, smart right. people that are just going to be involved in it for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of already seeing that, like you have Coinbase, obviously, which is like the crypto equivalent of what PayPal was in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, then you got the Winklevoss twins with Gemini. Uh, they're really pushing that and that's growing tremendously. Guys really kind of pushing the bill with like Binance and Bitrix. I don't know, the industry is getting really interesting. The, the biggest X factor is what are these big exchanges going to do when the decentralized atomic swaps kick in when which you can start to do now already but like when they're in full swing and all you have to do is go to a website to exchange your crypto you just punch in your output address and put in their address into your input and then boom it instantaneously swaps for you whatever you want, Bitcoin to Ethereum, Ethereum to Litecoin, on and on and on. And there's no record to be kept. There's no one in the middle that they can go after um, that can, or to no easy way to shut the site down. This goes against the grain for all the exchanges that are out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than custody, which no one really wants to do in the crypto space unless they're doing business, these exchanges are gonna have a real problem because with the decentralized exchanges, you don't need Bitrix, you don't need Binance, that model falls apart. And you start to not necessarily need Coinbase or Gemini or others that are very similar, unless you're a big corporation or unless you're a business that like every day needs to prove custody and have like a ledger of transactions and whatnot, which you'll be able to do anyways without them. But these decentralized exchanges are gonna definitely be a big, big factor. I mean, it basically is their business business model now. Absolutely. But I'm sure they'll have a first to market advantage and a lot of contacts and a lot of people, a lot of big corporations to work with through all of that. Mm-hmm. Which kind of reminds me of like the most exciting thing to cryptocurrency for me is the different applications from like healthcare records, I don't know, like facilitating transactions. I know that might become outdated with cryptocurrency. Yeah, there's a lot of use cases for blockchain. Yeah, but kind of like, I think what XRP or Ripple or I'm not up to date in whatever Mm -hmm. sort of things happening between those two, but whatever they were trying to do, I originally remember it as like moving big amounts of money from country to country, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. And the NFT space. No, I think regarding Ripple, um, I, I know that project gets a lot of flack for being somewhat centralized. But I mean, Ripple's not a bad project. Like the, the technology behind it is, is pretty damn good. It's really fast. Um, they've been in the market a long time. They've gone through lawsuits. They're battle tested in a lot of ways. Yeah, they do a lot of PR stuff. Yeah, they, they're consistently working with banks. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think we're people in this industry go wrong is they get highly polarized towards being decentralized, if that makes sense. Like, whereas any type of centralized blockchain is almost a bad thing, and that's just absolutely absurd. There are tons of reasons why you need a centralized or private blockchain or sidechain. Just look at a corporation that might need a blockchain within the organization 
to protect information and IP and have efficiency, but no one else would be able to get into it. Or for centralized purposes, it's not a bad thing for the government. It's not a, a bad thing for some corporations um, to send, uh, have a process for putting voting on a blockchain and mm -hmm. kind of controlling that a little bit. I don't know, there's tons of use cases, but saying that like centralization is a bad thing is wrong. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessarily bad, it's just who the actor is. I, I just, I hate it when people do that. I hate it when <laughs> it, it drives me nuts all the time. Like you're shutting yourself off to opportunity. You're shutting yourself off to the poss technological possibility. Yeah, well you can easily draw a parallel between like cash and a credit card. Like with cash, it's you gotta take care of it. Right. Like you can lose it, it can roll, roll down the street and you'll never see some $100 bills again. Or you can have it on a credit card and you're not really going to lose that money. It's a lot more secure and insured and things right. like that. The problem with a credit card, though, is you have to put it in the bank first. Uh, to, well, let's, let's use a debit card, for example. Yeah. To use your debit card, which is more convenient than your cash, you have to put your money in the bank. The bank then loans out 90% of your dollar. And mm. then everything you're spending practically is bank credit. Mm. And yes, you could go back to the bank today and get that reasonable amount of money back out. But if everyone went back to the bank, you're not going to get your money because they don't have it. Yeah. That's, that's the major problem with our banks. And then using a credit card is just even worse because now you're just using more credit. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> credit that isn't even backed <laughs> by the money in the first place. So it's face value, like a debit card or a credit card, seems like a better solution. And it has been a better solution in the short run. But in the long run, that's why we're in a credit crisis. That's, yeah. that's why we're in a huge debt bubble. Well, and then you have things like Venezuela that happens, where you're, the inflation is so bad that your credit limit can't keep up on your credit card, and you're maxing it out just to get groceries and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dystopian <laughs> and scary. Mm -hmm. And but, I mean, not everybody is responsible with their credit card, too. So like thinking that... And we live in a perfect world where everyone's going to use a minimal amount on their credit card and pay it back monthly and mm -hmm. have a stable job. And it's, it's not realistic. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it just creates more problems. And every time that happens, it just piles on and piles on. So. But I know at least in my area of expertise, like both sides of this, the cryptocurrency decentralized sort of digital side versus the legacy museums, galleries, traditional artists, mm -hmm. like there needs to be a conversation. Otherwise it's going to get siloed. Well, it's going to stay how it is with primarily like just digital artists exploring the digital side of it and physical artists just sticking to their galleries and whatnot. Let's talk about that a little more when, though. Like what's the conversation that needs to be talked about? So I think like implementation of the different possibilities that virtual reality and M NFTs brings up. Like, uh, I know I heard, bringing back to another Josie that you had on your yeah, podcast talking Josie about, she's uh, yeah, she's talking about doing the show where there's just white walls and you mm -hmm. walk around in VR. That's super cool. And I, I doubt that many people that are like involved in museums and stuff know about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that they totally should because there's a lot of cool areas for collaboration. Like, right. you never know if the Museum of Contemporary Art in New York is gonna like have an NFT exhibit, and they totally could because they've had video game exhibits and that yeah. sort of stuff. Like, I'll tell you what, it only takes one though. It exactly. only it only takes one exhibit or one art piece to spark massive interest in wanting to do that. So I know Josie's working very hard on it and trying to do something like that. I know a number of people, especially that have been on the podcast, are trying to do similar stuff as well. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it only it only takes one time, and when that happens, all of Chicago, Chicago's gonna wanna do it. Everywhere in the US, they're gonna wanna do it. Yeah, I think Different so. Different places around the world, they're gonna wanna do it. It's There's just so many opportunities, like why wouldn't you? And I, I just think there's not enough exposure in the real world outside of like OpenSea um, mm -hmm. for the ordinary artist the ordinary yeah. exhibitor to like see that you can actually do that well and then also the people that go to art shows mm -hmm. like I know um, like my girlfriend's family is in 
finance and stuff. Mm -hmm. They have no idea that there's like this strange cryptocurrency mashup with art mm -hmm. going on. They just know about Bitcoin and that it's super volatile and it's probably a bad investment. Mm -hmm. And that's about the end of the conversation. I think, you know, I think everybody at this point has heard about Bitcoin at least one time. I oh, think, yeah. no, at this point in 2019, I've, I've talked to all kinds of people this year about Bitcoin. And I think every single person has said, yeah, I, I've heard of Bitcoin. At least have heard of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now, most people are still very unsure what to think about Bitcoin. A lot of people still are unsure how it works. But, I mean, it's growing slowly. What's still annoying and it's, like, really slow to be, like, understood is that there's other stuff other than Bitcoin. Yeah. And that <laughs> it isn't a currency, necessarily. Like, Ethereum is a platform, a network, um, that you can essentially build on. Yeah, it has a native crypto called ether but i mean you, ethereum is not meant to be a, uh, a form of payment ethereum is meant for you to to build solutions on mm -hmm. um like with nfts like that's one solution what that you can use ethereum for and you're going to see all kinds of crazy shit pop up over the years um with this stuff but i mean this industry is so big and so broad, and I'm, I'm not surprised that people have only really heard of Bitcoin and still trying to understand just that. Yeah. What I'm excited for is for them to realize, and for all these different niche industries to understand, is that there's a lot you can do in the blockchain space, and I want, I'm waiting for them to migrate there. So it's gonna happen. Like, who doesn't want to take control of their, their art and get paid for it? Like who doesn't want to use a decentralized social media platform where someone has to pay you something small to like your post or to share your post or comment on it. Oh, yeah. Where there's a distribution of wealth in the form of providing value, not just random distribution of wealth, but providing value in return. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not gonna get into it because we could be yeah. here all night talking <laughs> about the different um, well, it's, solutions. Uh, it's very punk rock. It's very revolutionary. Like it, it is the. It's has, cool uh, too. So everyone wants to do is blockchain. Yeah, yeah. There's a big opportunity for a lot of interesting changes and a lot mm -hmm. of revolution. Like you could, I could easily see you walking into some sort of uh, like group show at a gallery, and then one person's show is all in like virtual reality. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be super cool. And I then if it. you walk, if you walk into a show too. And let's just say you're the prototypical baby boomer. You kind of know how to operate a, a Mac laptop. And then you see someone over in the corner with some Oculus goggles on. Mm -hmm. going, oh my God, like this is so cool. Like I th you're probably you know going to go check it out. I think where you're going to see with those galleries is a lot of augmented reality and mixed reality um, solutions more than you want with virtual reality. Because virtual reality, you have to put on a headset and step out of reality. Mm -hmm. Whereas augmented reality and mixed reality, you take what, what you're already looking at and you kind of overlay it with the virtual thing. And the augmented one's really simple because all you need is your phone. And I've, I've already showed you a few times, like, there's like an Art Vive app or Art Vive V app, or yeah, I don't know what to call that now. But it's really cool because if someone has created, like, like a GIF um, or a moving a picture, moving picture, a moving video. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus, step back in time for a second. <laughs> um, Moving pictures exist. Yeah, for their artwork or whatever. <laughs> and then you use the app, you can, um, it, it shows like the animation. And um, Josie has done a lot of cool stuff with that. I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah. Um, with her artwork. And I think with these galleries, you can be able to walk into a blank gallery. They're going to have like, maybe like little indicators in the gallery. And then you hold up your phone or you put on a headset and all of a sudden, the, the white walls come to life with artwork and are mm -hmm. moving and interacting with you. And it might not be individual stuff. It might be like a whole experience, which is crazy, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so. And I think, I think it's just like the next, the next segue with avant-garde art. Mm -hmm. Because you look into a lot of installation pieces and oh, there was a big movement through the 80s and still still going on. but. 
people create whole scenes. Like I was at a show and there was a bed with some sort of melted substance all over it. Mm -hmm. So people have already been trying to create like spaces there. There's, what's the word? There's simulated spaces in, mm -hmm. in essence. And it's just, I think it's mm -hmm. just the next logical step to speaking of some virtual Speaking reality. of simulated spaces, <laughs> um, I, oh, I, know, I know you've been in CryptoVoxels a few times and mm -hmm. for people on the podcast, um, that listen closely, they probably know that I like CryptoVoxels quite a lot. When are we going to see a Lane Hewitt art gallery in CryptoVoxels? I don't know. It might be a while. Because um, you, you got the NFTs coming, so now that you got the NFTs, you can display them. Yeah. So you're you're like halfway there, and now we just got to we gotta get you in the world so people that are walking around can like see it, bring it, yeah. to, bring it to like a different level. I mean, technically, it is my art gallery because I have one NFT mm -hmm. piece up in there. Oh, okay. But um, there's, to be honest, there's so many art galleries. There are. I'm like, how do I do something new with this and change it up a little bit? You, you gotta stick and out. You got, you gotta hack yeah. it a little bit. You gotta stick out. Like I know what's really popular lately is putting something on the roof. So like, when you're in crypto voxels and you're at your parcel and you're building your parcel, build out a roof for it because when people go to CryptoVoxels, they don't necessarily know where they go. So they go to the map. Most people go to the map. And then on the map, they can see all the parcels, but they can also see the roofs for all the parcels. So what a lot of us have done is like put our names or our Instagram or Twitter handles on there, or we've put our, our Josie has put our artwork on her roof. There's all kinds of like different things on different roofs that kind of like grab your attention and make you say, oh, I want to go there. Uh, so I mean, so that, that could be yeah. one thing you could do too. You could probably take one of your art pieces and um, do something with it and like put it like on the roof or something. Yeah, I have an open roof right now, but it's two stories. Right. So I might do that in the center, the walk in the middle. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of interesting. And people could see it from the bottom and wonder what it is. I know there's a lot of art galleries in there now, but I'm telling you, the foot traffic is still very low. But mm -hmm. compared to the beginning of the year, the foot traffic is very, very high. And it's growing quickly. And all the parcels are going to be minted, supposedly, by the end of the year. So not only... And they're selling like crazy, too. Like, there's not a whole lot of parcels just sitting there yeah. for sale and for auction. Um, I can guarantee you, by the time we get through January of 2020, those parcels might be completely gone. Ben, I don't, I don't know if he wants to like go beyond Origin City and like build out more parcels or not, because he's not really, he hasn't really made a decision on it yet. But all I know is that there is a cap on Origin City as a whole right now, and there's no yeah. guarantee of anything after that. And at the same time, if it continues growing, it's popular. I mean having anything there might be incredibly valuable. So if you had an art gallery, you might get more people walking through than you think. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was my point in getting a space. I was like, I just, I just need a you gotta get at least space one. so I don't have excessive fear of missing out. Right. <laughs> but uh, I'm really excited to see the different things that he unrolls. I wanna, I wanna see some like social interaction aspects of text mm -hmm. chat. Well, are you in the Discord? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in there. It's definitely a good place to, to kind of see what's going on. I, I know that he wants to put a river around the city, uh, kind of like we have the Deschutes and Bend. Mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that we can kind of float it around the city. That'd be cool. We want to put like emotes and emojis and like different ways to interact with people. I know, I know he's working on the, the voice chat still, which would be huge to voice chat with someone in the world. I think so. Um, it works really great with the Oculus Quest so far. I know a lot of people have been raving over that, um, and it feels real, and you can see your hands and your building and stuff, and it's it's pretty mm. cool. Video and live streaming is going to be added relatively soon. That'll be another huge leap where you'll be able to have an event and or, or show a movie or show a video or just go live and have people go there instead of YouTube. Yeah, like it's it's a huge pull to have like video on a platform like that, and you know as VR gets more and more popular, people are gonna want places to go. I mean, the only place you can really go is Alt Space on um, Oculus, 
or VR chat. That's about it. There's a few other places, but I mean, really, that's about it. What happens mm. when everyone is using VR and they want to explore outside of the the kingdom of Facebook? Yeah. Right? And they want to venture out into the badlands. <laughs> you got to get involved with crypto voxels. You got you to gotta buy something while it's cheap. Because it's yeah. like, I guarantee it's not going to be cheap forever. I really got to pick up an Oculus. That's the next step. Yeah. I think the the networking possibilities for virtual reality are going to be really cool for mm -hmm. introverts like me. <laughs> well, I, I think what I'm going to like the most about virtual reality is the podcasting aspect. Being able to say, okay, you're on the other side of the world, I'm on the other side of the world as well, we're nowhere near mm -hmm. each other. Host a live podcast. I host a live podcast in a sit-down format where I can yeah. see you and you can see me and have a conversation and have it recorded with great audio quality and be able to hear me clearly using 5G so that we have low latency issues and mm -hmm. it's crystal clear. Like I'm very, very excited about that. And that's where I think, I think podcasts are really going to diverge too. I think there's a lot of people that are starting to actually get into podcasts now because you see them pop up all the time, but a lot of them fizzle out though. But I think a lot of them are going to miss that leap into VR um, and kind of into like the gaming realm of that. And so eventually I want to take my podcast that direction too, because it just seems like such an opportunity. And then within blockchain somehow, maybe there'll be some cool ways to monetize. And There's a lot of different possibilities out there. I don't have the time to explore them all yet. But it's good to have you as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely relay you everything. <laughs> I feel like I do that quite often. <laughs> hey, it's not a problem. Before we uh, wrap up and everything, I know we had quite a long conversation about all kinds of stuff, but what do you have going on in your life that you want to share with the world and the subscribers that you're, that you're doing? Are you working on any new art pieces? Are you just kind of getting rid of everything so you can head to Chicago? I mean, like... What, what, what should the people know? Like what? Well, it's been a whole lot of all of that. Uh, you can go to my website, lanehewitt.com. Um, I'll have links to my podcast up there pretty soon and my artwork. And those are kind of going to be the main uh, things for now. When I'm in Chicago, um, I'm either reestablishing my canvas stretching business or maybe planning on working on the podcast and my art, keeping those steady and seeing where those go. Awesome. Sounds like we'll definitely have to follow up after Chicago and check in with you and maybe do another episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually maybe I'll just come on your episode, you know, so. Yeah, stop by Chicago the Share the podcast love. <laughs> okay. Cool. Awesome, Lane. Thanks See for coming on.